I'm Shanna Hutchison, dietitian, blogger, and mama, born and raised in the heart of the Midwest. I believe that wellness goes way beyond what we eat and that our body size does not determine our worth. I'm passionate about showing other women how to live a life they truly love, one that feels purposeful, that helps them feel their best physically, mentally, and emotionally, and that being a mom can be one of the best things you ever do without it becoming your entire identity. This is a place you can come to hear vulnerable and interesting conversations about health and wellness, motherhood, entrepreneurship, and more. If you want to find freedom with food, learn how to improve your overall well-being, and stop waiting for a number on the scale to start living your best life and go after your goals, then you're in the right place. I'm so excited to learn and grow together. This is the Wellness for the Win podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. It's your host, Shanna Hutchison, and I have been looking forward to sharing this conversation with you for a very long time. So as both a registered dietitian and and just a consumer myself, I know there is so much confusion these days when it comes to our food. There is so much conflicting information out there, not to mention a lot of fear-mongering and honestly, just people on social media spreading a lot of misinformation. So I can't wait to address some topics that many of you have questions on. I sat down with a fellow registered dietitian. Her name is Lauren Twig, who also has a background in animal science and grew up on farms and still has a lot of family in farming. So she is super knowledgeable about all of this from both a personal and professional standpoint and shares facts from someone who has, again, both studied it and personally lived it. You guys had so many questions for her that we actually ended up talking for a very long time and we had to make this a two-part episode. But trust me, I know you're going to find it so informative and helpful. So in part one today, we are going to dive into the organic versus conventional debate. You know, what's the difference in terms of nutrition, pesticides, all that kind of stuff. We talk about antibiotic use in our food, the dirty dozen list, is it legit or not, the environmental impact of farming, benefits of supporting local farms, other labels that you might see on your food like grass-fed versus grain-fed, etc. And next week, we will be back with part two, which covers even more highly requested and controversial topics regarding our food and farming. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into this conversation with Lauren. Yeah. So it's a very long-winded story, actually. (laughs) Uh, So my name is Lauren Twig. I am a registered dietitian. I live in Dallas, Texas now. I was born and raised in Central California. My family is involved in agriculture there, dairy farming, tree fruit, tree nuts, row crops, all different kinds of things. And it was such a fun childhood. Like I loved just kind of growing up where our food comes from. And I think when I was, you know, there at the time, I didn't really realize how valuable that is. Mm -hmm. It was normal. That's what everybody kind of does there. It's a very, very ag heavy part of the state. Mm -hmm. Well, then I got older and I went to college and because I grew up in dairy, and I think this is a really important point because I grew up in dairy, I learned a lot about animal welfare Mm -hmm. and I was really passionate about it because I saw how important it was. And so I wanted to go to vet school. Mm -hmm. I went to Texas A&M. My whole plan was to go to vet school. It got a degree in animal science there. I went to vet camp. I was like... Mm -hmm. 100% in. Uh, But then I lived with three girls. Uh, Two are from Dallas and one is from Houston. And I realized just through conversations with them that the background that I had and the childhood that I had growing up where our food comes from with the conversations that I heard about how our food was grown, all of that, other people don't have that. And that led to a lot of misinformation. And their only resource was the internet. 
Right. And as we see how that goes, <laughs> yeah, that's not always the best source of information. Yeah. And so anyways, I basically had like an awakening. <laughs> and I was like, okay, how can I bring people back to the farm in a way that matters to them? Yeah. You know, in a way that impacts everybody. And for every single person, I don't care what diet you follow, every single person relies on a farmer for food. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go learn about nutrition, got a master's degree in clinical nutrition uh, and became an RD. So that is kind of my path to becoming a dietitian. Uh, I worked a corporate job in like health promotion, basically corporate wellness for about mm. two years through COVID and then started my Instagram page, nutrition at its roots on the side, just to try to kind of start to get the message out there. And yeah. then that started to really grow. And I think through that, I started to get messages like, Hey, I love your approach to food. Do you work with private clients? Mm -hmm. And at the time I was like, no, I'm not going to work with <laughs> I, I had no plan on working with private clients, but then I got so many questions about it. And so I was like, sure. Yeah, I will work with private clients. You know, I want this yeah. to be a very food friendly approach. Sure. And my goal is always to keep as many foods on the plate as possible. And so that was really how my company, Lauren Twig Nutrition started. And that's kind of what I've been doing now since really 2021. I've been doing that full time. I just had my son Dallas eight months ago, uh, which has been so fun. Yeah. You know, I was not a babysitter growing up. And so I, <laughs> I didn't quite know what I was getting into. To yeah. be honest. Um, but it has been so much fun. And it's just like such a blessing to get to sit to get to work from home and have mm -hmm. the flexibility and it's busy, but like I get to hang out with him all day long and then work and communicate on some of the topics that I really enjoy. And so, yeah, yeah it's been really, really good. Um, yeah. I can't believe he's eight months old already. Like, yeah, it flies. It flies. Yeah. I was pregnant for 41 weeks and three days. Oh my. I was like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> this baby is never going to come. Yeah. And now he's eight months old. Look at us. <laughs> yeah. I so know. it's been great. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I love hearing about your background. That's cool that you kind of, you know, shifted and obviously veterinarians are very important as well, but I think, you know, being a dietitian is such a unique different avenue to impact people and like you said through through yeah. food. And I love just the fact that you pointed out like guess what? We all rely on farmers whether you like think about that or not. We do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, if mm -hmm. you eat food, you rely on farmers. So, yes. it's just so important to not only appreciate but also understand like what they do and the huge role that they play in our world. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm just so excited to dive into all the things, all the controversial topics like dairy <laughs> yeah. and farming in general so and yeah, all those things. So, and like we kind of talked about offline before this, there's just so much misinformation. People are so confused. There's so many different terms. And I think you know, marketing these days is very mm. deceiving as well. And so people are just like, oh, I should buy anything that says organic or non-GMO or whatever the mm -hmm. heck, you know, there's just so many, so many things. So let's yeah. start off with a, a big one, which is organic. <laughs> so, you know, that's, I think probably like the number one question that I, that I get asked as a dietitian, and I'm sure you do as well. Mm -hmm. So can you just kind of start with the very basics of like defining what exactly organic actually means in terms of yes. farming? And then, you know, from there we can kind of go into nutrition and pesticides and things like that. Cool. Yeah. So organic is a very, I say it's a very broad term. Um, organic, when you see that word on your food, that is referring to the farming method that was used. Mm -hmm. All right. The farming practices and what is allowed or not allowed as that food was grown. 
And I think that's really important because I do think a lot of people are now taking organic and making it a nutrition claim. Yes. And that is actually not what that is. Right. Um, It is a farming practice claim. So it is just signifying, hey, the farmers followed these um, rules and regulations in order to be deemed organic. And Mm -hmm. so it does look a little bit different uh, for everything. So like with crops, you know, you're not allowed to use anything genetically modified and you're not allowed to use certain synthetic pesticides. They are able to use allowed pesticides, but some of this extensive synthetic list that you would see in a more conventional style uh, farming practice, those ones are not allowed. And so there are regulations there. And then as far as cattle goes, organic cows, or if you have organic milk, that is going to come from cows that were fed and managed in an organic practice way. Uh, Mm -hmm. So within the organic practice, as far as cattle goes, they have to be fed organic feed. They have to have a certain amount of time out on grass and it all kind of depends on where you live and sunlight and stuff like that. Um, They are not allowed to use any antibiotics either um, as well as no at all. Um, And so if you ever have a sick cow that requires antibiotic intervention, you would need to sell that cow or remove it from the organic herd. Hmm. So no antibiotic usage is allowed within the organic practice. So that's kind of what organic is in a nutshell, very, very briefly looking at it. When you see the word organic on your food, that is referring to how that food was grown or produced. It's referring to the farming methods that were used there. That's helpful. And also I think kind of speaking to the antibiotics thing again with cattle specifically, so if they are sick and have to be removed, I guess, how how common is that? Like, how often do you see cows? Because, I mean, they're, they're creatures just like us. Mm-hmm. You know, we get sick. Animals mm-hmm. get sick sometimes, too. So how common is it to see cattle get sick and require antibiotics and have to be, like, removed? You know, I, I would say I... I don't have a number for you, but it's definitely common because of all the reasons that you just said, like these are large animals. They live outside. They also are herd animals. And so if you have one cow that gets sick, all these animals love to stand together. Um, And this is actually something that you will see some people say as as negative. Um, Well, look how crowded they are in these pens. A lot of times you will put a herd of cows out into a massive pen and they will stand in a small yeah. group. They want to <laughs> be by each other. They're very, yeah. very much kind of pack animals. They're herd animals. Yeah. And so, yes, in that situation, animals absolutely get sick. And what I always think is you, in that situation, you want the, the farmer to say, you know what, this animal needs antibiotic intervention mm-hmm. in order to best take care of the cow. Right. Um, Um, And that's something that I think is really, really misunderstood as far as antibiotic usage in general. Yes, animals will get sick in the organic herd. You can manage them in certain ways. You can separate them, try to treat them in ways that are, you know, approved like fluids or something like that. But I do think that a lot of uh, beliefs are out there that antibiotics are just used willy nilly. Right. Especially in a conventional style herd. And that's that's the flip side. So when I say organic, the flip side is conventional. Mm-hmm. So that, that refers to the other type of farming practice. Right. There, they will use antibiotics, but antibiotics are incredibly expensive. Yeah. The farmers don't just use them willy-nilly. You you use them when you need them. Right. And organic farmers will release that cow from the organic herd when they need to. And mm-hmm. so 
both of those farmers are going to use antibiotics only when they are required. And right. generally are administered by a veterinarian is overseen by a vet as well. So it's not just, you know, the farmers out there giving everybody antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to be given in an appropriate situation and they're very, very highly regulated. So that's true for both situations, whether that cow left the organic herd or it was immediately given in a conventional style farming. Yeah, that's really helpful. I know we had some questions on antibiotics later, but kind of while we're talking about it anyway, and with, let's say, conventional where they can use antibiotics, Mm -hmm. don't they have to like clear out of their system completely before they can be like butchered or milked or things like that? Yes. Yep. 100%. So uh, every antibiotic has a withdrawal period. So the way that it works, you have a cow, uh, she gets sick. Um, You look at her and you're like, you know what, that is going to be one it is in her best interest to do an antibiotic regimen. What the farmer will then do is remove her from the milking herd and hold her in a separate hospital pen where she will be treated with by a veterinarian. Uh, in that situation, her milk, she still has to be milked just like humans. Uh, right. We have to remove the milk. So mm-hmm. she will still be milked, but at the time that milk that she produces is going to be dumped because it has antibiotics in it. That's mm-hmm. always held separately. It's always removed and not put into the human food supply. So then once she finishes that course, say it's 10 days or something, all antibiotics, and it depends on the antibiotic, have a withdrawal regimen where her milk still has to be held separately and not put into the rest of the milking herd's milk that would come to our grocery store. Then after that, once she finished the withdrawal period, she's allowed to come back into the milking herd. She will be milked alongside every other cow. um, And then that bulk tank Every single day, regardless of whether or not you had a cow that was just treated with antibiotics or not, they are always tested for antibiotics, mm-hmm. always, regardless. Um, and so there's multiple checkpoints right. to ensure that there are no antibiotics in milk. Yeah, And it's actually fairly rare uh, to find them. For how many checks that they do, farmers are very, very strict and precise when it comes to antibiotic management. If there are any antibiotics found, it's dumped out at the farm, literally down the drain. Um, And that is not a little slap on the wrist. That is thousands and thousands of dollars in fines and thousands and thousands of dollars in profit loss that the dairy farmer just lost. So they're very, very um, careful with it because they get punished in the end. So it Mm -hmm. benefits everybody. It makes a safe product, but it also helps, you know, the farmers make a living. Right. Exactly. It's just so refreshing to hear you talk about this. And I cannot wait for people to hear it because there's literally just so much confusion. <laughs> like, I know. Well, like there's so yeah. much stuff out there and people are terrified of antibiotics. And it's like, okay, listen to this, like all the checks and balances that are in place to ensure that they're not yeah. in there, like to keep us safe and healthy and, and to keep, yeah, the farmers, you know, making their living too. It's just so many things. Yeah. 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 I completely agree. Okay. I love that. That was super helpful. So kind of going back to organic, like you mentioned, you know, it's referring to the farming practices. It's not Mm -hmm. referring to the nutrition. So can you speak a little bit about that? Like is organic better nutritionally or in terms of pesticide exposure? I think that's a big one too. Like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. there's certain pesticides that are allowed with organic farming. So can you speak to both, I guess, the nutrition and the pesticides? Yeah, definitely. So that's another hot topic. Um, (laughs) <laughs> I think especially for dietitians, obviously that's what we're mm-hmm. asked about. So yeah. there's been lots and lots of research done 
on these topics. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you compare, we'll start with the nutritional side of things. If you compare an organic apple to a conventionally produced apple, there's been lots of studies done on those different products or those two products, and they have not found significant differences. They will find minor ones and you will see that in lots of research. So like maybe vitamin A is slightly higher in organic, uh, but they they also have found certain micronutrients that are slightly higher in conventional. So yes, there are some nutritional differences, especially in the produce. I actually find them to be very, very comparable. Mm-hmm. So when it comes down to nutrition alone, I say buy the one that you want, buy the one that you can afford, truly, yep. Uh, yep. because it is more important to buy enough. And I have so many people that I work with that message me online. I will like never forget when I was a dietetic intern, I was working at the VA. And this is kind of what people will tell me online. I was working at the VA and I had this patient and I will never forget. She wanted to lose weight and start eating healthy. And I went in to go talk to her and kind of, you know, come up with some strategies for her. And she was in tears and she said, I just don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I want to start eating healthy. I want to make these changes, but I cannot afford organic. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is so disappointing. Yeah. On a marketing front, Mm -hmm. I feel that the marketing has failed people. Yeah. Again, practice. It's not the nutrition. And I told her, I said, that's okay. You don't have to buy. It, It shouldn't be causing financial stress. If you want to support organic farmers, and if that is something that's really valuable to you, cool. Awesome. Those products are safe. They are grown by farmers who care a lot. I think go for it. But if you were like, okay, that is the difference between me buying one apple or me buying four apples that would last me all week. Mm -hmm. That's when I feel that it's not as worth it. And those nutritional differences aren't worth it. You need to still be able to include enough produce. Um, So that's on the produce front. Then we look at the animal products. Okay. How does this impact milk? Mm-hmm. Really, it's the exact same thing. Um, milk and beef. Both of these products also well researched. Both are safe. Both are incredibly, incredibly nutrient dense. It does not matter if you buy conventional beef or organic beef. Um, if you buy organic milk or conventional milk, both of those are going to give you really, really safe, very, very nutritious products. When you really get down into the research, there has been some research that shows slightly different fatty acid profiles. And a lot of that stems from what the cows are fed. Right. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. In the organic, remember, they have to have certain amounts of days on grass. Mm -hmm. That higher grass intake does slightly change the fatty acid profile. Mm -hmm. Now, it will be considered significant. They even will be like beef will be even slightly higher in omega-3. Mm-hmm. But as we know, when we are recommending food sources of omega-3, beef is not it. Right, <laughs> beef right. Is not the first one, right? Exactly. And so yes, statistically or clinically significant, but we're still not talking about a food source that is going to give you all your omega-3 content. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so that's that's another thing. And I'm not saying that at all to be like organic's not worth it. I'm saying that there's really not that big of a difference. And so if you are finding that that purchase is stressful for you, yeah, then I then I think go for conventional. I think it will do the exact same things for your body. Very, very similar. Research has not shown a big or a very, very significant nutritional difference between the two in a way that really makes a difference in our health. Yeah. If that makes sense. 
Are you struggling with anxiety or depression, including postpartum, or even career challenges, relationships, or self-acceptance? Do you feel stuck and want to make a change? The professionals at the Counseling Collaborative are trained to help you feel more empowered to get your life on track. Voted Best of KC for Best Group Therapy Practice. Schedule an appointment with the Counseling Collaborative at thecounselingco.com. That's thecounselingco.com, founded by women for women. This is where your healing begins. I'll leave a link for you in the show notes if you want to learn more. Now back to the episode. Now bouncing over to pesticides. Mm-hmm. So research does show, as we kind of talked about, organic does allow pesticides, but they're not those synthetic ones that are also allowed in conventional or that are allowed in conventional. So I think that pesticides really, really get a bad reputation. Um, right. And we have to really remember what they are there for. They are obviously there to increase food production. So they're there to reduce pests. Mm-hmm. But that is to increase the amount of food that we have access to, which keeps food affordable. So there are a lot of benefits for pesticides, but Mm -hmm. I understand people's concerns as far as residues go. So there's been a lot of research done on the organic and conventional, and they have found that organic will have slightly different or slightly lower pesticide residues, which to me would would be expected. However, Mm -hmm. both of them, organic and conventional, are so far below the established tolerance levels, the established levels that it's kind of that considered safe. Yeah. That are considered safe. Exactly. Yeah. So they are so highly regulated before these pesticides can even be used. They have to be approved for use in food. Mm -hmm. They have to be approved as safe in that situation. And then all those that regulate the pesticides go in and they say, okay, at what point would this start to cause or be any concern for health? Yeah. humans. Mm-hmm. And they set that as that upper limit. And that, this is important, that also takes into account accumulation or build up over time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not bad with one apple, but what if you eat an apple every single day? They consider that when mm-hmm. they set these limits Okay, and both conventional and organic are so far below anything that we would ever need to be worried about. So mm-hmm. yes, organic has been shown to be slightly, slightly lower. Mm-hmm. But both of them have been proven to be safe time and time and time and time again. Yeah. So to me, main takeaway on those topics is that both of them are very, very safe. Uh, So if you are like, you know what, I understand that they're both safe, but I really want to latch on to that organic is slightly lower. Well, do it. Uh, But both are safe. And I think that that's really, to me, the main takeaway point. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I love that you pointed out too. Just like the antibiotics conversation in animals, same with pesticides. Like you said, we're not just using them for no freaking reason. Like they serve a purpose. They're being used for a purpose to, again, keep us safe and healthy and all of these things. And obviously they're not going to, you know, farmers don't like have this, you know, hidden agenda where they want to harm us. Right. It's like they want to provide us with enough food, like you said, you know, keep food affordable and all of those things. So yeah, yeah, just really helpful to have that perspective. And um, yeah, just knowing that you can feel confident in purchasing both. And regardless of if you're purchasing organic or conventional, you should be washing your produce either way. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I just, the other day I bought a head of organic spinach, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, people ask me, well, which one do you buy? And I say the one that looks better. True. Like if the conventional apples look horrible, I will get the organic apples. If the organic spinach is wilty, I'm not going to buy that. You know, I also, I also do tend to buy, I go for the one that's more affordable. 
Mm-hmm. Jerseys are expensive, you know, yeah, and I want to buy these days. a lot of color. So, mm-hmm. uh, but no, just the other day I brought home organic spinach. You know how much dirt was in my organic spinach? Yeah. Yeah. Right? And that's just dirt. So like wash it, yes, to reduce pesticides, but also like it's just overall to clean your food. It's mm-hmm. a good, you know, it's been transported in a truck. Right. It's been touched by lots of hands. Right. <laughs> so yeah. Good, good to wash your your stuff regardless of, of what farming practice was used to get it to your store. But yeah. I always tell everyone, remember, your farmers or the farmers that are growing your food, that's the food that's also being fed to their families. So they don't have like a separate side table right, for right. their family. Exactly. They yeah. eat the same thing. Exactly. And so I think that there's a lot of encouragement and like comfort in that. Mm-hmm. Like my dad, you know, when I was growing up, we drank milk from the store mm-hmm. like everybody else. Yeah. I grew up on a dairy, but we went and bought it from the store. And that's like, I just think farmers, their produce or their product is what they also feed to their family. So they care a lot because it literally is what they eat too. Absolutely. Yes. So, so good. Um, So I feel like we've touched on this enough, but just to quickly like put this term in there for people who are like wondering about the dirty dozen specifically, Mm. you know, obviously that's a big popular thing that people kind of latch onto as well. So, you know, if you're not familiar with the dirty dozen, it kind of refers to 12 specific items of produce that you quote unquote should purchase organic because of pesticides or whatever. Mm -hmm. So any additional thoughts or things that you have to say on the like process that they use for that. <laughs> I mean, it just, it's just amazing to me that they even are allowed to continue to release that list truly. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think anyone can really shut them down, but yeah. you know, the, it's been, it's been very, very criticized the way that they gather their data. Mm-hmm. They don't even test for, for certain organic pesticides. Like they don't consider all the pesticides that are used. So it's very, very easy to make foods look a lot worse than they really are. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, I say, don't even look at it. I say, don't even open it. Yeah. Uh, I do have people that are like, you know what? I look at it. I buy a mix of organic and conventional, and those are the organic ones that I buy. Uh, But there has been a lot of research that has come out. Like I know the FDA has kind of looked at it, but their list has been shown to decrease people's overall consumption of produce. Yeah, exactly. Which is such a problem. <laughs> That's a huge problem. Yeah. And to me, I'm like, again, how are you even able to continue to release this list? So, you know, they've got their dirty dozen and then the clean 15, right? Mm-hmm. You can yeah. buy these ones conventional because they're cleaner. It's just ridiculous. I mean, they... Yeah. It's to me, it is fear mongering put it into 12 bullet points. Um, and I think that's really unfortunate. And it is having the exact opposite effect on people's health. Exactly. By reducing overall produce consumption. So you're going to have a whole lot more health benefit come from eating enough fruits and vegetables than you are going to have any health consequences coming from very low residual pesticide residues that are exactly so far below anything we would ever need to worry about. Like what is that? Um, the food calculator, do you know which one I'm talking about where you Mm. can go in and it'll show, um, yeah, you have to eat like 500 strawberries a day or something. (laughs) 500 strawberries a day. (laughs) Yeah. In order to even be slightly concerned. Yeah. 
Yeah. So if you're eating like 20 a day, which is even that's kind of like more than most people are having, (laughs) then you're probably just fine. Yeah. I know. I know. Uh, So yeah, I would say disregard. Um, I disregard it every year. Every year I do a post about disregarding Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So good. Just wanted to make sure we, we touched on that. Yeah. Taking a quick break to tell you about one of my sponsors, Kemp's, the makers of so many great dairy products, including the delicious and kid-friendly Smooth Cottage Cheese. That's right. I said Smooth Cottage Cheese. So picture a creamy texture just like yogurt. My two-year-old Rhett absolutely loves it and actually thinks it is yogurt, and Ethan and I love it too. If the texture of cottage cheese has ever held you back from reaping the health benefits of it, you have to try this. We just discovered Kemp's Smooth Cottage Cheese earlier this year, and it has quickly become a staple in our household. If you have a toddler or young kids, you know that it can be a challenge at times to get meaningful nutrition in them at meals and snacks. I can always count on Rhett devouring the entire cup, and as a dietitian and a mom, I love that these offer a whopping 10 grams of protein per serving, as well as probiotics to support gut health, and they are made with real fruit. They have yummy flavors like strawberry, strawberry banana, and mixed berry. And each flavor has fun characters on them that your kiddos will know and love, which is always a nice bonus. If you are in need of some more quick and convenient options to incorporate into meals or snacks that your kids will actually like, you have to check these out. I'll leave a link for you in the show notes if you want to learn more or see if you can find them at a Walmart store near you. Enjoy. Okay, kind of moving into animal agriculture. And of course, another, these are all controversial, you know, (laughs) all all things that people are very passionate about, but people are confused as well, I think, on the environmental impact of Mm -hmm. farming. And I think there's a lot of messaging out there basically making, you know, there's of course a big push for like plant-based diets these days, Mm -hmm. because, you know, there's a lot of things that say that raising cattle is horrible for the earth and things like that. So I'm curious to hear again from your, you know, experience of growing up in farming, but also from a professional standpoint as well, you know, what, what is the environmental impact? Are some farms more environmentally friendly than others? You know, how can we better support farmers who are using those practices or how can we even know the difference yeah. like when we're shopping? Yeah. So gosh, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, it's, like, I know. Well, it's just such a hot, I mean, that's to me probably like the hottest topic. Yeah. And someone who I love to, I don't know if, can I recommend an account? Sure. Of course. So if y'all don't follow Tara Vanderdusen, mm, I don't think I do. So cool. Um, so okay. she's an environmentalist. She like got her degree in environmental studies and lives on a dairy farm. Okay, cool. And so it's just super cool to hear her approach because she really learned about it like on paper Mm -hmm. and then puts it into practice on the farm. So I really highly recommend her account. She specifically really focuses on dairy. But so for me, when I think about like farming and the environment, I think first and foremost, a lot of people tend to only think of carbon emissions. Uh-huh. I don't know yeah. if, if you feel like that or if that's yeah. kind of something that you get asked about a lot. Mm-hmm. When we think about like sustainability and sustainable diets, there's a lot of pillars that actually go into that that are so much more beyond just environment. Like, yes, it has to be environmentally sound, but it also needs to be affordable. 
and right. it needs to be like socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's all what actually gets lumped into what we think of when we think of sustainability and sustainable diets, those three pillars. And so when I think about, okay, how do animal products specifically play into that? To me, they absolutely then have a role in sustainable diets. Farmers absolutely have to care about the land because if they don't care about the land, then they won't be able to farm. Right. And that is just the bucket statement. Uh, So lots of people like to paint farmers out to be people that just absolutely don't care um, about the environment. They don't care about the emissions. They don't care about the soil. They don't care about the water. That is not true. Um, I grew up, like I said, in central California. So now there's a bunch of flooding there. But historically, Mm -hmm. it has been very, very, very drought ridden. It's been a very drought ridden state. Um, Mm -hmm. Water management is incredibly important to all farmers, because Mm -hmm. if they don't manage their water well, they won't get to use the water. Like they won't have enough. And so farmers really, truly, you'll hear people say that they are like the original environmentalists. And it is absolutely true. They were caring about the environment long before everybody else was. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, if they didn't, they weren't going to be able to farm. So I wrote down numbers just to make sure that I said them all right. So on like the carbon front, Mm -hmm. In the United States, everybody loves to point the finger at agriculture. Mm -hmm. Ag is the problem on why there's global warming or why there's so many emissions. In the United States, agriculture as a whole accounts for only 11% of the U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. 11%. Mm -hmm. And that's all of ag, okay? That is the trucks that haul food, that is tree fruit, that is nuts, that is the veggies that we all want to fill our plates with. And then that's animal agriculture. Like mm-hmm. that's a massive bucket. Yeah. We need to be looking more at like industry and we mm-hmm. need to be looking more at transportation because that's like 70% plus yeah. of the emissions. So I think when you look online, everybody is like, I don't drink milk because of the carbon. Yeah. And it's really just honestly, when you actually l- look at it, to me, I'm like, that's the hill you want to die on. (laughs) It just seems a little bit like, and I don't mean that to like make, to make fun. I just think it's amazing how far this narrative has gone. Right. When you actually look at it and like hear a little bit about like the numbers, people are like, oh, well, wait a second. Like that's not near as impactful as I thought. So agriculture is only 11%. All right. Animal agriculture, beef, dairy, sheep, goats, all of it, pigs, whatever, 3.9% of that 11%. Hmm. The 3.9% of the greenhouse gas emissions. U.S. dairy is less than 2% Hmm. of the greenhouse gas emissions. So it's very, very, it's a very small slice of the pie, but still matters. I think it still absolutely matters. And farmers know that. And so what are they doing in order to be more environmentally friendly? they are getting more efficient. And this is something that a lot of the public is actually fighting against. Mm -hmm. They are getting more technically advanced. They are getting more high-end technology. Uh, They're getting better at breeding. They are getting better at management. They're getting better with their feed. All of it is getting so much better and more efficient. And that's actually allowing the cows to make more while using a lot less and emitting a lot less too, as far as carbon goes. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's, there's, there's statistics out there and numbers that are like show since the 1960s that 
feed is going down, like how much these cows actually need to eat. Water usage is going down. Carbon emissions are going down, but milk production is going up. And it's all because of these management practices that farmers are putting into place. Um, A lot of the technology you will see on really big farms. Mm. And that is the reality. And I'm not saying that small farms are bad at all. Uh, I think they're fantastic. But I find that everybody fights against the big farm. Mm-hmm. Right. Big farms are really, really efficient. Mm-hmm. And they can they're like well oiled machines. 100%. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And they still care about their cows. So that is another right. thing that's really important. Um, so yes, it does. It is not the little red barn out in the field anymore, unfortunately, but that's not the population on, that's not the global population we're feeding anymore. The little red barn wouldn't be able to feed us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so farmers did have to figure it out. I also think it's cool, just like some of the stuff that I've seen put into practice on, I'll talk specifically about dairy because that's really where I spent a lot of my childhood. One thing that's really interesting that I wish people knew more about is what cows eat. So what do we Mm -hmm. feed the cows? Mm -hmm. A lot of it's like 40% of what cows eat is waste. Mm. What we would throw into a landfill. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh cotton seed. When all of us get our cotton jackets or shirts or underwear, whatever, all of that cotton leaves behind a little seed. Mm-hmm. And all those seeds would be thrown away. But cows eat them and they actually are a huge part of cows' diets. And mm. then they're able to upcycle that turn it into something better. So they're able to literally turn trash into treasure, which I think (laughs) is really cool. Yeah. So there's that uh, almond hulls, the outer edges of the almond, the shell that the almonds come in. Mm. They have kind of like an outer husk. Mm -hmm. Cows eat that, turn it into milk and they love it. That's Mm. the thing. Like they, and it changes every season. So um, sometimes in the fall, our cows get pumpkins. Mm going to go in the landfill and they will eat it and they love it. It's like a treat for them. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's really cool. And by keeping that food out of the landfill, they actually are keeping a lot of A, waste down, but then B, those emissions down as well. Um, So I think that's really cool. Another thing that's really cool, and it's fairly new technology, they're called methane digesters. Um, And so when cows emit these greenhouse gases, you're talking about methane and carbon. And those are both emitted by cows. Cows actually primarily emit methane. So there is now new technology out there that is allowing farmers to capture the methane and turn it into natural gas that is now being used to fuel trucks, being used to fuel cities. Like it is now what is hauling the milk from the dairy to the store. Yeah. So it's not gas anymore. It's this compressed natural gas coming, being made from methane. So hmm. it's it's really cool, the technology that farmers actually have um, access to and that they've been using and these efforts that they have been putting in to try to be better and better and better for the environment while still being able to feed everybody that lives here. So I think it's good to support, which one do you want to pick? Mm-hmm. I honestly don't even know if I have the right answer for that, because everybody manages it in such different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up on a large dairy. Mm -hmm. I grew up on what a lot of people would probably call a factory farm. 
Mm-hmm. And I despise that term because yeah. my family was out there every single day, mm-hmm. you know, and they cared. It wasn't some big business. <laughs> right. Right. It was my dad. Still, you're still just humans. Like, just you humans. know, yeah. 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 And it was, it's, it's big and there's a lot of cows, but it, it was so efficient and so well run and so clean. And these cows were so well cared for mm-hmm. and they, my dad cares so much about getting better. Every Mm -hmm. single year, he wants to do it a little bit better. He wants to use less water. You know, he wants to be more efficient and all of that. So I, I just think my word of encouragement really would be that your farmers are not out there to destroy the environment. Right. (laughs) um, Or your health. (laughs) Or your, or your health. Yeah, Yeah. Like they really do care a lot about, okay, is this product good and is it safe? And then also, is it okay? Is it good for the environment? Because they want to leave their farms in a way that their kids can farm on it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's really what drives a lot of them. And so yeah. I really think, especially in the United States, like the farmers are just so advanced and so efficient and they do such a great job. And so I really think that there just needs to be confidence in our farmers in mm-hmm. general. And I yeah. feel that we are starting to lose that. Mm-hmm. Totally. You know? Yeah. Because the, the fear-mongering messages are overriding this kind of stuff where it's like actual facts and people who are in it and who know <laughs> what's going on versus yeah. like someone who reads a headline and then spreads all this like misinformation and just BS. So this is just so helpful. I I just can't wait for people to hear it because I really hope it'll change people's minds a little bit about a lot of stuff. And yeah. Um, and I guess what are your thoughts on, like you said, you know, the the big farms are they're clean, they're safe, they're efficient, all those things. Yeah. But what about like, I wanted to ask about local farms, like how mm. I know a lot of people are passionate about just supporting local in general mm-hmm. are, and I know with organic, the organic certification is expensive, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. do you find, I guess, do you have any idea as far as like with small local like family-owned farms, for example, do a lot of those follow organic practices, but they don't have the organic certification because it is expensive? Or do you know like what that sort of statistic is? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes sense. And to be honest, I actually don't know the answer to that question. I would say the organic regulations are strict. Mm -hmm. And so I wouldn't imagine that someone would follow all those regulations and then not get the seal. Yeah, true, true. I, I just, I that just wouldn't. Sense. So yeah. uh, for example, and this is not on the dairy front, um, but my family also does do organic. We have some organic trees. Mm-hmm. Those trees had to be in production under organic regulations for three years hmm. before you could get the organic seal. Wow. So it is very, very difficult to get. Yeah. Um, and it's very, very labor intensive. It's a lot of hard work and then you have to maintain it. Mm-hmm. I think it's every single year you have to come and get checked and make mm-hmm. sure that you are abiding by those regulations. So to answer your question, I would say I would be very surprised if someone did all that work and yeah. they didn't get the seal to prove it. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. But I would, I do think it's fantastic to support local, no matter what product you're buying. Right. And part of that, honestly, is just from a nutritional standpoint. Yeah, true. The less that food has to travel, the less distance food has to travel, the more nutrient rich it's going to be. Mm -hmm. So if you live in California and you get, I don't know, citrus from Florida or something, 
it's got to fly all the way across the country. Yeah. Right? That takes a yeah. few days. And so every single day, some of that, those nutrients deplete slightly. Mm-hmm. I think it's great to support local. One thing that's really interesting on that is almost all of the milk in your fridge is actually going to be fairly local. Generally, yeah. it's from within like 200 miles, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty cool. Um, yeah. But that's just because it's a highly perishable item. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas berries, I mean, still very perishable, but berries tend to go a little bit farther. Milk. Mm-hmm generally doesn't travel all that far. It's typically from right around the corner. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know I did a dairy farm tour a couple years ago. Cool. I, I guess it was pre COVID. Yeah. And it, I learned that. I remember learning that and being like, Oh, that is, that is cool. And good to know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause people are, you know, they want to support local. And like you said, it's yeah. better for our health. And you know, that is one thing that can be nutritionally better is whether yes. it's organic or conventional, if it's local in, you know, sh- shorter time from farm to table, then that is going to be better nutritionally. So that's a good, good thing to point out. If you are currently pregnant or postpartum and looking for some safe, effective, and quick workouts to do, you have to check out Expecting and Empowered. I used their workout guides during my pregnancy with Rhett, but now they are new and improved and they have an app for your phone, which makes it so easy and convenient to use. They even have Spotify playlists already created for you that you can access to listen to while you work out. These workouts are programmed specifically for your stage of pregnancy and or postpartum, and I know that when I was a first-time mom-to-be, I always felt super nervous about what types of exercise I should or shouldn't be doing, so I love knowing that they are all safe and supportive of the stage that you're in right now. The pregnancy workouts specifically include flexibility, pelvic floor, and strength moves, and they have workouts for upper body, lower body, and then a full body workout day. I have loved using these workouts so far during this pregnancy, and I'm excited to keep using them so I can continue to feel strong leading up to labor and recovery, and of course to keep up with my crazy toddler in the meantime. You can use my affiliate code Wellness for the Win to save when you sign up for the app. I'll leave all the information for you in the show notes as well. I hope you love it as much as I do. So I know you mentioned a little bit about feed for cattle and like some of the different things that they eat that we probably didn't even think of, like pumpkins and, you know, almond holes and all those things. So is there like, does it matter if they're like labeled grass fed or grain fed and they have some of that stuff in their diet too? Like, how does that work? I guess in terms of like labeling or regulations or whatever. Yeah. So a lot of this will be seen. I I think that you typically don't see like grain fed milk. Um, Mm -hmm. So a lot of that is seen in the beef industry. And then obviously there are grass fed dairy cattle as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that a lot of people should know, especially in the beef industry. Well, I shouldn't even say that for both. If your cow, cow is grain fed, they still do get plenty of grass like items in their diet. So they Mm -hmm. aren't just eating grain. Uh, so in the beef industry, almost all of those cows start on grass. Mm-hmm. That's how it starts. And then the difference comes in, are they grass finished or mm-hmm. are they grain finished? Okay. That's really where the distinction comes in, in the beef industry. Uh, mm-hmm. Are they grass finished or are they grain finished? And that means as the animal gets older and it's getting ready to go to beef and become the steak on your plate. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I should say that. I feel like people get weirded <laughs> out by that. <laughs> well, um, that's the reality, people. <laughs> it is the reality. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, thank you, animals. But <laughs> they they end up getting put on a diet where you know they can grow and then that meat can taste better, basically. Um, right. And so generally, that diet is it can be 100% grass, and that will be a grass finished cow. 
Mm -hmm. or it could be a grain finished cow. And that is the last thing that they ate prior to slaughter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, that's a big distinction there. And then on the dairy industry, you know, a lot of dairy cows actually do eventually go and become steaks on your plate as well, which is really cool. I think that you have the opportunity to really use the whole animal Mm -hmm. again, getting at sustainability. Right. Right. You know, and so with dairy cows, they can be put out on pasture and grazing. And so then you will get grass fed milk. That is something that you will also see in organic. So organic and grass fed do not necessarily mean the same thing. Uh, Organic has to have their cows on grass for a certain amount of time, but they also are allowed to feed other organically grown products, organic corn, organic cottonseed. Those aren't necessarily synonymous with one another. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of times you will find them to be grass-fed in an organic situation. And they do have to have grass, but there's other things allowed in that organic diet as well. Um, In a conventional system, they will get the grain. They're going to get the cottonseed. They're going to get the almond hulls. But they also get tons of corn. And then when they get the corn, they don't just get the corn kernels. They get the entire corn stalk Mm, chopped up. Wow. And so that's something that I think a lot of people don't realize. And then they also get hay as well. Mm-hmm. And so plenty of that kind of forage-like um, yeah. items in their feed all across the table, whether it's grass-fed beef, grain-finished beef, grass-fed dairy cows, you know, conventionally fed dairy cows, or just fed, it's called a TMR, a total mixed ration, mm-hmm. meaning it's of these different ingredients mixed together in one ration for the cow that's been perfectly balanced it's interesting cows actually do have their own dietitian mm-hmm. almost every dairy has a nutritionist mm-hmm. uh, that makes their feed and makes it perfect for them um, and so it is a mixture of lots of different things but corn and hay are huge components of that they actually mm-hmm. make up the bulk of it um so mm-hmm. that's kind of a, a very very common question from people and i think that they think that some cows only get like corn and that's actually not. Right. Yeah, I know. And then of course there's so much controversy about corn, I feel like. And, you know, people are going to be like, oh my God, my cows eat corn. So now I can't, you know, I know it's just like, it's just this never ending cycle. And it's like, they have a varied diet. You know, we want variety in our diet. We want our cows to have variety in their diet, you know, for quality of life and nutrition and all kinds of things. So yeah. yeah. Well, and remember, like we talked about a lot of what's being fed, at least 40% of their diet is actually something that's going to go in the trash. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's another thing. You don't really get that aspect in a grass fed cow. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that that's bad because they also are grazing on the land and that's great for soil health and all of that. Mm-hmm. But, and I've talked to, um, there was a PhD researcher that I actually spoke with recently and she specializes in beef, but she was saying, I really, truly from everything that I have found in my research, from the studies that I have done, the best approach is to have a mix of both types of cows. Okay. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because each of them have their own benefits. So you get a lot of the waste reduction in these, um, TMRs, mm-hmm. but then you also get the benefit of grazing the land. And then that can help lower carbon because plants trap the carbon and the cows eat the plants and all of it goes into a cycle. Mm-hmm. And so she said that at the end of all of her research, and this was probably my main takeaway from her very intelligent research. <laughs> she said, you have to have both a mix yeah. of the two is really the p- best approach mm-hmm. as far as being like environmentally sound. 
Yeah. Hmm. That's really interesting. That's yeah, that's helpful cool. to know. Yeah, I love that. Okay, and that's where I'm going to leave you hanging for today. So next week, we will be back with lots more juicy info for you. So be sure to tune in next Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. And really quick before you go, if you have a spare minute to leave a rating and review to let me know what you're enjoying about the show, or if you want to take a quick screenshot of this episode and share it to your Instagram stories, tag me so I can see. Um, That would help so much. Your listens, your shares, your feedback truly mean more than you know. So thank you so much for being here. I appreciate all of you guys so much and I hope you have a great rest of your day and I will talk to you soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode and took away some tips or wisdom that you can apply to boost your health and happiness starting today. If you did, I would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review to help other women like you find my show and get inspired to start living a life they love. Also, take a quick screenshot and share it to your Instagram stories. Be sure to tag me at wellness for the win so I can see why you love today's show. Thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time.